been a long day. I need a nice, hot, detox shower. Come on. Hello, welcome to Bare Minimum. I'm Jo. This week I'm joined by university lecturer and also my mum, Gail Parmenter. Hi Jo. Hi. It's interesting that my podcast is called Bare Minimum because I guess up until this Black Lives Matter movement, I have really been doing the bare minimum. I'm not a racist person. I am against racism. But uh, this is now a wake up call that it's not enough just to be not a racist person. It is critical that we as white people are actively anti-racist. Part of the anti-racism movement is having open and uncomfortable conversations with your family. I've decided to do this on my podcast in the hopes that people will listen to it and uh, do the same with their family and friends. Mum, when I texted you to see if you were open to come on the podcast and discuss racism, you were hesitant because because you said you were unqualified. My response to that is, isn't that the problem? We need to qualify ourselves. It's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, my very, very good friend, Marie, is incredibly um, politically aware and knows so much about this subject and has really helped to educate me over the years. Um, In fact, I was just um, chatting to her today about it because obviously my thoughts and feelings are with people that I know who are black. and we have students as well that have been um, talking about it. So it's kind of, you know, it really is important for me to understand these issues. But also there is that, you know, white guilt. And I don't know whether you've read why I'm not speaking to white people about race, um, which is a very good place to start, because it's almost really embarrassing to talk about white guilt, but it just makes us feel uncomfortable. And I am from the generation a child of the 70s, where there was an enormous amount of racism about, an enormous amount. I mean, there were very few black and Asian people around my neighbourhood. It was unusual. My parents were racist. You are the person with privilege. You have to acknowledge it. And there's no use in going, I'm not racist. Oh, there's no such thing as everyone's equal now. You know, you hear this about women. Everybody's equal now. I don't need feminism. Everybody's, you know, oh, I've got black friends. I must not be racist. We need to look at it and respond to it. My friend Marie really appreciates it when white people, when I acknowledge that I have got white privilege. And it really, really does upset me what's been happening with the All Lives Matter, because it just goes to show how people just don't understand it. I want to talk about growing up in the 70s. Talk to me about racism in school and the local community. It was a, it was a white middle class um, area of, of the southeast. There were not many black or Asian or people of colour around. Um, it was the sort of town that when the awful tragedy of the Vietnamese boat people happened in the mid-70s, I can't remember the date, but I, I, I was, a, I think, about my first or second year at secondary school, and there was an outcry that one or two Vietnamese girls were coming to our girls' school. It is very shameful, but we have to admit these things, and children do internalise what's going on around them 
through their parents a lot and through the media that they they consume at, at the time the comedians of the time were racist to the core just just absolutely made their living out of um taking the piss out of, out of people that weren't like them and and they were racist completely racist i obviously grew up became educated and and woke up to what had been going on and looked back at my childhood with kind of despair really it's the same about uh, you know being anti-gay i mean grandpa were very homophobic when when i was young you know they would laugh at gay people and say it was unnatural and wrong and they have actually changed their mind about that now so they can change their mind it's bizarre people say social media is a bad thing um, fake news etc etc but I believe that young people are much more informed these days by being able to be made aware of the issues in a way that we weren't really made aware of them when we were younger we could only really absorb what our parents told us what school told us and even though there was no real just nothing we weren't taught black history at school this is another thing no this is the thing I wasn't I wasn't taught anything about slavery I wasn't taught anything about the British Empire I guess colonizing America that is a key issue it's needs to change so that in the British education system the children are taught about white supremacy and systemic racism and the origins. I spent the last two days doing lots of research. I live in Bristol, okay? Did you know that Queen Square was completely built with the funds from slavery? I did, and Colston, everything is named after Colston. There's been student um, demonstrations over the years to try and remove the name Colston from buildings and, and schools in Bristol. Um, no, Br Bristol was um, reliant and built on the, on the slave trade. I'm choosing not to uh, physically demonstrate because we were in a pandemic. Mm. If we weren't in a pandemic, there is a demonstration mm. in Bristol on Sunday, which of course mm. I would be attending. Mm. Well, I'm pleased to say that I have brought up for children who are aware of, of racist sexism and, and other inequalities classism completely aware and and are active as well george was demonstrating in hyde park he is extremely aware and does things doesn't just talk about things but does things henry as well has been extremely wanting to talk about it and extremely interested in in what he can do so i'm very very proud that i'm and you're doing this so you know fucking hell it's a, it's a joy to be the mother of boys who really want to get involved very very proud and obviously it's to your credit you know you brought us up so I've always been aware I have encountered racism and I usually just cringe wince maybe walk away racism makes me so uncomfortable it's now a time to push through that uncomfortableness the same way that I have been for years calling out people who say that's so gay I don't care how uncomfortable it gets I don't care how close to the person I am if you don't call it out they're going to continue to mm. uh to think it's okay mm. and so people need to be educated and it starts at home it starts talking to your friends and family um the the people uh are going to get defensive at first. Robin D'Angelo has a book called White Fragility and 
I watched a video of her doing a sort of TED talk and she explains it much better than I could possibly explain it. Um, so please, I advise people to look up that on YouTube. There's an extremely good book around at the moment by Angela Saini called Inferior. And it's about, um, actually, no, it's called Superior. Inferior is the one that's about women being science. Um, you see, racism and sexism really run in a parallel. And I've always been very, very interested in sexism being a woman. But when I studied my master's, which was in um, basically gender and international relations, so it's very political, intersectional feminism is now taken over from liberal feminism in as much as that what it does is it looks at the intersection between race, gender, um, culture, society, class, all these things that intersect to form oppression and inequality in society. So obviously I began to get very, very interested in race when I looked at that. I've just found the um, Angela Saini book, um, she says she recounts the history of scientific racism from its origins of systemic classification of humans according to physical appearance and alleged racially based personality traits. So it went back to sort of Charles Darwin and we accepted the theories of anthropology and biology and these were integrated into political doctrines under the Nazi regime. So she looks at, in her book, the way the racial categories have changed over a fairly short period of time to reveal race as a social construct, okay, a social construct, meaning that there is no difference between black and white people apart from their skin. The fact of the matter is racism from hundreds and hundreds of years ago is still very much mm. present and the after effects mm. are still being seen today. Mum, did you know that black women are more likely to die from pregnancy mm -hmm. and childbirth and the weeks after pregnancy? And COVID-19 is affecting a disproportionate amount of black, Asian and minority ethnic people. Yeah, but they, they don't really know why at the moment, do they? I mean, black women's health care is, is a well-known in, in feminism, um, well-known issue. And, you know, it's to do with many things, which is why we call it intersectional feminism, because if you're black, you're financially disadvantaged, you're socially disadvantaged, you're a black woman, you're even more disadvantaged than a black man. Yeah, and why is that? Because our society is inherently racist, so there's racial exclusion and, and um, societal, it's called structural exclusion. So there are reasons why black women find it harder to get um, jobs that are usually done by white people in, in exactly the same way as women have found it hard to get into careers usually dominated by by men i've recently been watching mad men again okay because i'm doing a project on it at uni as you know i teach creative advertising and it's really extraordinary how on on mad men you, you can see a, a bit of a, a history of of um, the race revolution in the states and and the the riots over there and i watched the episode last night when martin luther king was killed by a sniper and the, it was because it came at the same time as the George Floyd murder, it was interesting watching the reactions and watching the support of people. And, and this was the 60s. 
so there were there were people around then championing racial equality and, and on Mad Men they started to hire secretaries. They did positive discrimination to, to get secretaries to to join the agency. And then Peggy, who is like a, the pioneering female copywriter, the only one in the ad agency, she talks to Dawn, who's the black secretary of Don Draper. Uh, and Dawn is really upset and she just says, you know, keep going because I was his secretary once. And she's kind of saying, you know, you can start as a secretary and move up. But black people often aren't promoted in the same way. There's still this unconscious bias against um, black people and people of colour. The other thing is you can't be what you can't see. So without black people, black women in as role models, then other black women don't see that they're going to be able to make it in that profession. So maybe don't have as, you know, they'll, they'll take on jobs where they see more people like them and, and where they think they, they may be better able to succeed. There's education. Education can be exclusionary as well. So these structural inequalities, you know, not as many black women will get onto to degree courses. They may not achieve as well at school. All these things are obstacles in their way. Um, white middle class people are the more successful people because they have the infrastructure behind them. They have the knowledge. They have the precedent. You know, if you the most most single most determining factor as to whether you will go to university is if your parents went to university. Now, my parents didn't go to university, and it was a bloody struggle for me to go. I, I did go to art college and had a career and I only went to actual university to do my English degree at UCL when I was, how old was I? 35, I think, I was 35. Mm -hmm. And what happened, you came with me quite a bit when you were off school, I can still remember you sitting in lecture rooms with me at UCL, <laughs> taking notes, listening, I don't know what you remember from that. But you No, know, I do you, remember it. <laughs> you had that example, the education, was it was a good thing and that going to university was worth it so if you're from a family where that hasn't happened you're less likely to go to university um they always use oxford and cambridge as the benchmark and and you know very very few black people go to oxford and cambridge and often find it difficult when they get there because of the cultural there so there's cultural exclusion and that um, causes inequalities as well so there are lots of reasons and, and lots of things that need looking at in society and, and running parallel to that is, is, is sexism as well. So there is um, work to be done, obviously. <laughs> A theory about black women not being treated as well as white women in the healthcare system is that the medical professionals don't take them as seriously or they don't act quick enough to to see if there's a real problem when the patient uh, complains and it does result in loss of life we've got to ask why and you know there it's it's the job of the nhs and i guess the um uh, private hospitals whatever to uh introduce more uh training about uh how to not be racist like not discriminate it is it is tragic i was talking to marie marie about this um and it is it is unconscious bias isn't it that, that's what it comes down to unconscious, unconscious bias that's it yeah mm. and it is absolutely tragic and sad and what you're doing is at least you're taking some action and we're not being white middle class people sitting around 
moaning about it. We're trying to do something about it by confronting it. I think that's what it is. It's about confronting it, isn't it? Confronting it, realise it, accepting that it mm. exists. Yeah. I was teaching, okay, at Westminster University, and it was uh, probably... 60% um, people of colour and there was a really amazing group of black girls and I was teaching them dissertation they were all doing really great projects like one I re remember was doing one on black um, film directors and the black gays and the black female gays another was doing a, a project on hair and I was like what can what, what are you talking about hair I just thought how insignificant hair and talking to her, she educated me so much in how difficult it is for black women to get hair products, to find hairdressers. Like she lived in West London and to get hair products, she had to travel to um, the back, back of beyond in South London to, to actually get the right products for her hair. And it was a whole political thing. Like you go into Boots and you see rows and rows and rows of pro products for white women's hair. And then you get like two for black women's hair. It's the same with foundation shades, you know, they've traditionally been loads and loads for white women, about two for black women. This, this is changing, but you know, everything is political. Everything added up together causes this, this bias that we can't see. I, I couldn't see that about hair. And actually that girl, she was an amazing girl. And, and I loved teaching them because they taught me so much as well. And when I left, they were really sad and I felt so privileged that they had kind of accepted me as someone who wanted to be an ally, admitted my own failings and unconscious biases and literally was very interested in what they had to say. And I think that's what we have to what we have to carry on doing, be very interested in what black people have to say, take it bloody seriously and stop. And there was there was there was a, another girl, another girl came over when we were talking about something once and she said oh, don't be silly, we're, there's no racism now, we're all the same, we all love each other, you know, and it's kind of like, no, that's the worst possible thing you can say. It really is the worst possible thing you can say. It's like all people that say we don't need feminism anymore because we're all equal now, you know, it's just... Or we don't need pride. Yeah, we don't need pride. Gay people are all perfectly fine now. I mean, I must admit, you know, you told me stuff about when you were growing up, because I was very much the sort of middle class, hey, we're all cool with gay people, of course Jay will be fine. And I had no idea the extent that you were being bullied at school, and that always really, really upsets me. I remember going into school once, and you had told me that people were bullying you. So I went in with Dad, and we sat down with the headmistress and, and some other senior staff member, and they said, don't worry, don't worry, we've sat the class down and we've told them that Joe is not homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> Completely missing the point. What they should have been doing is saying we sat the class down and told them they, sh there is, they would not tolerate homophobic bullying. But they didn't. That's not what they said. And I said, you've missed the point. I said, you've missed the point. I said, I'd... I'd don't know whether my son is gay, but whatever, they shouldn't be homophobically bullying him. There was an assembly about bullying and how a mother had come forward and the amount of eyes that went in my direction because it was just so painfully obvious that it was me <laughs> and it was my mum that had brought it up.
each year group had to uh, do an assembly, I don't know, once a month or something. And she, I, I don't know if you remember me telling you this, but she went through each of us in her form group and gave us uh, a slur that might be associated with us. <laughs> My friend Emily, who was like a teacher's pet, hers was brown noser. <laughs> actually means well yeah it's like because you're you're kissing someone's ass so much that you've got shit on your nose yeah um mine was she steered clear of the gay thing she went thespian (laughs) 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 Um, because because of my acting god knows what else she was doling out and then it soon dawned on her that this was not a good idea was there really at your school then because your school um I mean Henry I remember the story about Henry because Henry went to the same school as you Burnham Grammar which was I think 70% Asian and when we moved to Bradford and Avon he went to visit the school with dad and he came home he was 15 and he said mum I can't go to that school it's racist I said what did someone say something racist at the school and he said every single person's white at that school and he was actually really quite shocked. And he, he and I said, well, why do you think that's racist? He said, well, they're obviously not, not letting um, Asian or black people go to that school. He, he couldn't fathom that there was an area of the country where there were very, very few um, people of colour. He, he couldn't imagine it because he'd come from just outside Slough where 70% of the, the students he went to school with were Asian. Robin D'Angelo said, a lot of the time we as white people um associate proximity as being uh, that must mean I'm not racist mm. I also lived in Holt and I worked at the local pool I would be just lifeguarding the pool and it would suddenly occur to me that absolutely everyone in that pool mm. was a white person mm. and I would almost get a mini panic attack. <laughs> I don't think the film Get Out was around at that time, but it felt like something really sinister like that. But then I also don't know whether that in itself is problematic because it's then I'm like this other person who's so woke. Interestingly, Henry said, and Henry's only 24 now, so this wasn't that long ago, in English class, he used to come home really, really upset because he had... He had friends, you knew he had a lot of um, Indian friends and Muslim friends, and the Muslim racism was terrible. And they were reading it. I think the teacher must have put a, a book that was about Muslim people on, on the curriculum. And he came home really upset because of the racism. And he'd stood up in class and said, I have friends that are Muslim, and you are wrong. They're not all terrorists and awful things they were saying. I was so proud of him for doing that. And he really does still remember that. And, and he wasn't ostracised by his friends and some of them did listen to him. So I'm very, really proud of him for that. But he said, Mum, these kids have never met a Muslim person. It, it was just difficult for him to get his head round. Um, you know, I remember teaching at a school very briefly in, in Beaconsfield and I was teaching a book that had a passage about slavery in. And one of the 15-year-olds in the class, and this wasn't that long ago, it's about 15 years ago, he said, well, I don't know why they're moaning, because they shouldn't have gone to America in the first place. 
And that was the level of understanding these kids had in, in year 10 about slavery and about black history. Um, that's why it needs to be on the curriculum if we're going to give young people the awareness and knowledge they need to have. I mean, obviously, you grew up in a racially mixed area, and and it, it, it's a it, you you did you don't otherize people that you grew up with, whereas people that don't have any exposure to people who are different, they otherize them, and they do can't tackle their unconscious biases because they've got nothing to actually use to to do that with and uh, yeah it is it's really difficult isn't it it's really difficult i was quite shocked the other thing is when theo theo had mixed race girlfriends and came to visit me when i was in cornwall which is very white in falmouth and we were getting a little boat from falmouth to st moore's and there was another boat with a black family on it and Bryony kind of raised her hand in a little wave and they sort of did a little wave back. And it was that kind of, you know, she, she, they were acknowledging each other because they're in an unusual situation. I don't know whether gay people do that. <laughs> I mean, in a way, like you do clock mm. each other. Um, you know, there's a sort of joke that you clock each other, but then you immediately just ignore each other. <laughs> Do you remember when Henry and his girlfriend booked into a hotel in Berlin and they didn't realise they'd booked into a completely gay hotel? And when they went in, they, they saw the rainbow flag on the outside and they didn't really, still didn't think anything of it. And when they went in, it was totally gay. And Henry phoned me and said, it's a gay hotel. We're the only straight couple in this hotel. And I said, well, now you know how gay people feel when they go to a hotel. And he went, oh, yeah. And the penny dropped. But, you know, being in a minority, the whole world is set up for heterosexual white middle class people. <laughs> I gave you that book about heterosexist culture and how everything is literally, you know, we've moved a bit forward with gay marriage and stuff like that. But the, the, the world is centred around heterosexual families, isn't it? We're focusing on racism. Listen, there's so much going on, like sexism, homophobia racism it's all things that we need to work on what we need to make sure is that this isn't just a trend this isn't just celebrities and every other person posting a black box on their instagram no. and then forgetting about it this is the work that is long overdue but a big movement has focused the world's attention on this we have to be committed to anti-racism I firmly believe, as you know, that advertising and politics are intrinsically inseparable and they both construct and reflect culture and society. So therefore, we do have to be extremely aware of political and cultural issues and movements and things that are going on. I mean, just look at all the brands that jumped on the bandwagon of um, COVID and had all the separating the logos and things, you know, they, they'll, they will jump on things. Like, I think now there's a joke around about what brands are going to do now about, about this situation. They're going to sit around the table trying to discuss what adverts they're going to do to try and make themselves look racially aware. It's already happening. Did you not see L'Oreal? No, I haven't seen that, no. I've got it in front of me now. Speaking out is worth it. Yeah, that's so 
It's isn't it? Fuck. It's it's shit anyway. Yeah. And, and L'Oreal Paris logo at the bottom. I'm making embarrassing in advertising, but please, that I'm a lecturer in advertising, so I can help to point these things out to my students. And then uh, Monroe Bergdorf um, spoke out about it, and um, thankfully, because she's got quite a big yeah. platform, I think that has made people listen. British model thirty two was. Uh, dropped by L'Oreal Paris in 2017 after speaking out on white supremacy. Yeah, brands are quickly called out now if, if it's just superficial um, and cynical. They, they are called out over it. We're moving towards more accountability on that front. Starbucks um, ran a, a terrible campaign where they were trying to take advantage of, of the race racism debate um, where they um, had a campaign called Race Together, and they were encouraging people to talk to the barista when they were getting their coffee about race. And it was hashtag race together. And so the barista was meant to start up a conversation about race when, when somebody was ordering a coffee. And it was absolutely, you know, shot it in the foot. Because why would a brand like Starbucks feel adequately informed and that, to, to let their baristas start up a conversation like about race? And who would think that, you know, the person person of colour walking in the coffee shop is going to want to be bloody talking about race when they're just getting a cup of coffee you know so brands can get it wrong which is why we as educators I've got massive responsibility because when our students come to us straight from school they haven't learnt about black history they know very little about feminism they are usually reflecting the views of their parents and a lot of that is is not really how we would like to help to construct society for the better through advertising because advertising does no matter what anyone thinks of it as um in our consumerist society advertising can be used as a force for good and we can start reflecting back a better image of it so you would be amazed at how many 18 year olds are still incredibly sexist incredibly racist and incredibly uninformed it's really important to try and attract more BAME students to the advertising course because advertising needs them I mean advertising is an industry where yeah you can go out and you can research what people are like and find your target audience but as you know you were just saying with the L'Oreal thing you get it so so wrong and there's nothing like lived experience you know you've got to try and walk in someone else's shoes but it's better to actually have that actual person that's got the lived experience and I mean, lived experience, for example, for a black person, I'm never going to understand what it's like. So if I'm an advertising copywriter trying to write ads for, the, you know, a, a racially diverse society and I don't understand that diversity, then it's just not going to work. My friend Marie, a couple of years ago, made me cry one night. We were at a party and we we're both trying to get a cab. And she said, um, oh, well, at least I'm with you because the cabs might stop. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, black cabs just don't stop for black people. I said, is this really true? And she said, yeah, there's loads of racism with black cab drivers. They don't stop black people. And I would never have known that. You know, that's lived experience that I would just never, ever have known of. I'd never have known the lived experience of not being able to find a fucking shampoo. You know, it's just things like that are insights that, that people in advertising find as gold dust. So we need more BAME, BAME students. Advertising industry is crying out for for BAME people and I think they don't go into that industry because it's a case of you can't see you can't be what you can't see it doesn't seem like a, an industry they would succeed in so we do need to to bear that in mind that is a really interesting and important anecdote another thing that um 
that white people just don't understand either is that that black women on the dating scene often have a really hard time because there's actual shadism shadism where lighter skinned black women do better in the dating um, games than darker skinned black women and this is all culturally constructed and when you see programs like love island for example the mixed race guys always do really really well the black guys do really really well the black girls never do as well and this is something my friend marie pointed out to me it's one of those cultural cultural things that we don't think about as white people until until somebody points it out to us and we go oh yeah that's true actually isn't it god i've never really thought of it like that and it's something that we don't we don't have to think about so we have to make ourselves think about it if we're going to to ever really be allies and, and change our society good so actionable items is i'm just going to call it out but at the same time, I'm going to make mistakes. It's important to not be defensive and just to accept it. Robin D'Angelo shared a story of her making a fuck up and she uh, then reached out to that person and uh, offered to just accept that she was wrong and then to learn from it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, anti-racism is a long-term thing that we all need to work and we all need to be conscious of as white people mm. things need to change i think i'm going to end with a quote from scott woods who is uh, i believe an american author trisha goddard shared this on her instagram the problem is that white people see racism as conscious hate when racism is bigger than that Racism is a complex system of social and political levers and pulleys set up generations ago to continue working on the behalf of whites and at other people's expense, whether whites know or like it or not. Racism is an insidious cultural disease. It is so insidious that it doesn't care if you are a white person who likes black people. Mm. It's still going to find a way to infect mm. how you deal with people who don't look like you. Mm. Yes, racism looks like hate, but hate is just one manifestation. Privilege is another. Access is another. Ignorance is another. Apathy is another, and so on. So while I agree with people who say no one is born racist, it remains a powerful system that we're immediately born into. Yeah. It's, like, it's like being born into air. You take it as soon as you breathe. It's not a cold that you can get over. There is no anti-racist certification class. It's a set of socio-economic traps and cultural values that are fired up every time we interact with the world. It is a thing you have to keep scooping out of the boat of your life to keep from drowning in it. I know it's hard work, but it's the price you pay for owning everything. God, that's brilliant. It's fantastic. And it, it's making me have that wobble that I had when he first asked me to do this you know why am I on here talking about this stuff you know I'm completely inadequate but I've got to keep scooping that water out of the boat got to keep doing it got to keep going the best I can and, and engaging in the difficult conversations and discussions and owning up and admitting what, what, what it is like admitting what our society is like what those barriers are 
this is good. This is progress. This is the work. This is just the beginning. Okay, mum, would you like people to follow you on social media? <laughs> oh, gosh, I've got a sort of minuscule 1,100 followers. So anyone welcome. Yes, it's just at Gail Parminter on Twitter and the same on Instagram. Okay, mum, thanks for this conversation. Really interesting. Bye, darling. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Bare Minimum. I hope it's been insightful and I hope it encourages people to do the work to actively be anti-racist, not just not a racist person. See you next week. Bye. And there we go, guys. It's time for me to get in bed. This has been fun. 